Soloquacious, an Out in Perth podcast. Welcome to Soloquacious, a podcast from Out in Perth magazine. Soloquacious is where we discuss everything from politics to pop music, activism to art, and all from an LGBTIQ point of view. My name's Lee Hill, and each week I'm joined by my colleague Graham Watson and Hi. special guest. Hi. <laughs> Uh, Did I throw you there by saying hi? Yeah, I forgot okay, you were sorry. going to greet yourself. In this episode, we are asking the questions, do we forget about the rest of the world? What should we expect from the UN's investigator into LGBTI abuses? Should we be concerned about Indonesia? And is there anything the ACL won't blame safe schools for? There's lots to discuss, but first let me introduce our guest. Misty Farquhar is a PhD candidate at Curtin University's Centre for Human Rights Education and has a background in working in community services. She's a huge advocate of LGBTIQ rights and works across many different areas. Back in September, Misty wrote a piece for Archer magazine about intra-LGBTI discrimination and bi-erasure. And uh, she, we published that also on Out in Perth Online, where it got a massive readership. Thank you for joining us, Misty. No worries. Nice to be here. I was trying to remember what your PhD topic is, because um, we went to a presentation recently when they went through everyone's, and I can remember everyone else's except what yours was. <laughs> I didn't realise we were telling her that. <laughs> Now I know. That's okay. I think, um, yeah, it's difficult to explain a PhD in any succinct kind of way, and it's difficult to remember in any succinct kind of way. Um, I'm going to try and explain it now in a succinct way. So what I'm looking at is um, the experiences of people who are non-binary, so people who are non-binary in sexuality and or gender. So what are their experiences in Australia, and what does discrimination look like for them, particularly within the LGBTI community? It's very relevant at the moment because, you know, that idea of that you might be of a non-binary gender is really debated in our sort of discourse at the moment and and challenged a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of really high profile people kind of coming out and saying that they're non-binary in one way, shape or form. So I think that's kind of opened up the discussion a little bit. I was looking at your LinkedIn page um, because I thought you might put up what your PhD topic was there. Um, (laughs) But your first degree was in psychology. Correct, yeah. What, What made you choose psychology as your undergraduate degree? That's a really good question. It was a long time ago that I chose psychology and I'm really glad I did it. I think psychology is an excellent grounding. Um, It gives you kind of an insight in a very rudimentary way into human behaviour. I think that's probably why I chose it. I thought I wanted to be a psychologist when I grew up. But then through the work I was doing in my career, because I studied and worked at the same time, I found that working with groups was probably more of interest to me, so kind of more systemic stuff. So that's where the human rights bit came in. I thought I want to make a difference, but I want to make a difference on a really big level, not on an individual level. My second time at university was doing a psychology degree, oh. which I didn't finish. But stats? Was it stats that put no, you No, it wasn't actually. Do you know, it's it's everyone thinks like there was a hard bit. No, actually I went to do it because there was a particular job I wanted to get right. and I thought I'm going to need a degree in the future if I want to get where I want to go. Yeah. And halfway through my degree, at the end of my second year, I got offered the job I wanted. And so I said, oh, I can't do it because I'm halfway through my degree. And then a friend pointed out the reason I went to do the degree was to get the job and sort of reminded me of what the original goal was. And I was like, oh, that's right. Um, so I went and I, I got the job I was after without having to, you know, finish my degree. And 
after I, you know, I moved overseas and when I came back to Australia, I kept going down to think I should finish that psychology degree. And I'd go down to Murdoch and go down to the uh, south wing of the library, down to the basement floor where they keep all the psychology journals. And I'd go in there and I'd just kind of get a chill up my spine and go, nope, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) And then the time where you have to restart your degree to finish in time passed and that that door closed. I think there's a couple of of things about psychology that are particularly problematic from my perspective and that one of them is that it is health science. So it looks at everything or tries to look at everything in a really scientific way, Mm. which minimises, I think, personal experience and subjectivity, but also... Something that I've been talking a lot about recently, there's there's nothing about sexuality and gender in the courses or very little about sexuality and gender in the courses, which seems outrageous given the mental health issues faced by the community. I found when I was doing my psych studies that I was surprised by the areas of it I got really intrigued and engaged in. They wouldn't have been the ones I predicted going into it. Yeah. You know, there were things like physiological psychology, which I just loved. And huh. if you'd asked me before I started that unit, are you going to enjoy this one? I'd be like, no. Yeah. But actually I was completely swatting up and reading all the extra materials <laughs> and spending extra hours in the library and just had the, I'll admit it, the most amazing desire to like, you know, take a brain apart and, yeah. you know, yeah. once you know all the different parts of it and That's, what they yeah. do, you yeah. know, which is a little bit macabre, but. <laughs> Brains are awesome. Lee, at journalism school, because you have a journalism writing degree. I think I do. I can't remember. It's all a Were you good at science, though, as, as growing up? <laughs> Why do you think I did an arts degree? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I think that's the beautiful thing about psychology is you kind of get to use both sides of your brain a little bit. It's... I, I was good at I was yeah. good at biology and human biology because it was just remembering things. It was rote learning. But when it came to applying mathematics or formulas, like in chemistry, yeah. <laughs> Pretty dismal. The piece you wrote last year, Misty, that we published on Out in Perth, it was also an Archer magazine, that got a really great response because we don't talk about bisexuality very often. It, it really does get missed out all the time. And even, you know, when we see celebrities coming out, you know, there's often a, they get mislabeled very, very quickly in the mainstream media. Yeah, and often, I mean, even in you know, television shows that are LGBTI-friendly for all intents and purposes. I, I'm talking about Orange is the New Black, where the main character is bi, by definition, mm. but they're referred to as straight and then gay and then straight and then gay, like depending on who their partner is. And I think that's that's a massive problem in terms of invisibility. And yeah. it's almost a thing I think we don't talk about in the queer community. You know, I think, you know, often if... Um, people find someone they're interested in and they're not of the gender that they have normally connected with. They're afraid to tell their friends that they've yeah. met a great person and it's always like a secret, yeah. you know, because we seem to like really like putting people in boxes and labels and yeah. which is human nature, I guess. Yeah, and look, I, I tried to do that myself after, you know, dating both men and women and, and people in between, um, settling down with a man, a cisgender man. I spent a long time just kind of trying to tell myself, well, it doesn't matter now. I've made my decision. And I think that's what society expects us to do. But I guess it doesn't change. It's very difficult to explain, but it doesn't change who you are on the inside. So you can pretend all you like, but if you're not monosexual, you're not monosexual. Sometimes I wonder if we pay enough attention to what's happening in the rest of the world in relation to LGBTIQ issues. There's been a lot of talk in the queer press the last few weeks about President-elect Donald Trump and his lineup of proposed cabinet secretaries who all seem to have anti-queer statements in their past. But do we spend enough time looking at the rest of the globe? You know, we, we look at English-speaking countries a lot, but not the other ones. You've just um, got off a plane, Misty. You've yeah. been a week in 
Bangkok. Uh, tell us about the conference you've just been to. Yeah, it's um, actually a really interesting sort of theme that you that you raise because I think for me, being in Australia, it is very much about what's happening in the US and the UK because we consider our culture quite similar. Um, but I, I heard about stuff at this conference that just, you know, I knew about, but these, these were people in front of me telling me that, you know, people they know, um, for example, are subject to corrective rape, which is where um, lesbian women are raped as a form of conversion. Um, same-sex relationships are illegal in a lot of these countries still. Um, there was a woman I spoke to who was a trans woman from Brazil who'd said to me on the last day of the conference that um, during the conference, five trans people were murdered um, in Brazil. So, you know, these are things that, you know, we don't really have the same level of issues here in Australia. And, um, you know, even the US is, is probably worse than here in terms of trans murders. Um, but we're kind of, we're actually in kind of a little equality bubble in, in the context of the world. And we forget that. Yeah, like, you know, our biggest stories have been the Prime Minister being disinvited and then reinvited to Mardi Gras. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, hardly, yeah. Hardly life and death. Yeah. yeah. It was the, so the association is the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Intersex Association. Yes. And how many people are at that conference though? Because I, I saw quite a few Australian people tweeting about it who yep. were there, but what's the, how big is it? Uh, I don't know how many countries participate, but um, I'd heard that there was about 700 people in attendance. So it was absolutely humongous. And I guess logistically that must have been really difficult for them. But also um, they did, I thought they did a really good job of um, running sessions that covered off lots of different countries, uh, that covered off lots of different issues. I obviously, um, from a bisexual perspective and, and also from an intersex perspective, I was a bit disappointed with the lack of coverage of those topics. I think... Um, you know, a lot of organisations are being really careful about being inclusive of trans issues now because that seems to be, you know, one of the emerging issues. But bisexuality and intersex issues did get missed off a little bit. Uh, but at the beginning of the con, well, it was sort of called a pre-conference conference. Uh, That's what so- good conferences have. There's like <laughs> a little no conference idea. before the conference and there's the main conference, <clears throat> there's stuff on at night and there's a conference that you really want to go to after the conference. Yeah, yes. And you end up going into your boss going, I need to go for 10 days. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I've never been to a conference like this, but I'm, I was exhausted by the end of the pre-conferences. But uh, on the second day of pre-conference, they had um, identity streams. So they had one for women, one for trans people, intersex people and bisexual people. So this was actually the first year that bisexuality has been separated out, um, which is pretty exciting. And there was lots of um, there was lots of dialogue around bisexuality globally within the community, um, just not so much, you know, in the conference. I hope that next year we'll see a bit more of that. Um, we also got time with Vatit Munterborn, who's the new uh, UN special expert for LGBTI issues. So four people from the bisexual community had time with him to talk about the unique issues of bisexual people. And we also, a larger group of us also had time with his assistant. So mm-hmm. that was that was really good, really, really good. Just for somebody who's sort of removed from the bisexual community, what would you say are the issues that are at the forefront of the community? What are the things that concern bisexual community the most? Mm, I think visibility is probably yeah. the major issue. Yeah. That um, it's it's difficult for bisexual people to fit anywhere. So obviously within the mainstream community, we're queer. Within the queer community, we're not queer enough. Um, so that that's probably an issue, that, probably the biggest issue. But some things I learned about 
while I was there was issues like more extreme human rights issues, particularly around asylum seekers, that people, people don't get granted asylum if they identify as bisexual. So they need to lie about their sexuality to get asylum, um, which, is, which is a really awful, awful thing to think about. When you think about we're sort of classifying as you're, you know, discriminated but not enough. Yeah. That's, you're not queer enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm intrigued. What do you think, as someone who is bisexual, phrases that are in the gay and lesbian community and in the queer community about phrases like gold star gay? What do I think about those? Yeah. I mean, you've, you've come across <laughs> that phrase before. Yes, I have. I have. And, you know, I mean, it's... I can only speak about it from a subjective perspective, being a bisexual person. We should say for anyone who, who is going, what's a gold star gay? Yeah. Oh, it means you're 100% homosexual. And never had any experiences outside <laughs> no, that. No, you know what you are. I, I mean, I don't believe in gold star gays. Am I allowed to say that? I, I think, I, of course you can. Yeah. Because people don't believe in bisexuals. I <laughs> feel like it's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's quite disappointing. And, and I feel as though it's, it's limiting for people, you know, that you just don't know who you're going to fall in love with. Again, I put the caveat around the fact that I am bisexual. So mm. for me, it's impossible to think of a life like that. It's interesting, you know, like every, pretty much, you know, everyone's watched Queer as Folk. Yep. But if everyone had watched the show Russell T Davies made after that, which is Bob and Rose... Oh. Which is about a Alan Davies, who you might know from Q and I, um, plays a guy Q-I. called Q Q I. Yeah, Q, not Q and I. Q and A. Q I. Alan Davies plays a guy called Bob, who's okay. a gay guy. His and his mum's like the president of P Flag. That's how gay he is. Uh-huh. Um, and he's in his thirties, and he meets a woman and falls in love, and has to deal with telling all his gay friends and his family that. I'm, I've met a woman and this has made me happy. If we all had to watch that show, yeah. as much as we all watch Queer as Folk, that would change the world a bit. Tell me what that's called again. It's called Bob and Rose. I'm going to yeah, watch I've that. I've never heard of it. That's Bob and Rose. Leslie Sharp is Rose, um, who's a very well-known British actress. So. Okay. It's a really good show. Not, not as popular as Queer as Folk, though. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, the UN's special um, investigator into LGBTI yes. abuses, uh, Vitit Mutterborn. Vitit Mutterborn, yeah. Um, now, he was actually in the news just last week because there was a move from a group of African nations to to stop his appointment. He's been yes. given a three-year mission to go and find out where gay and lesbian people are abused in the world. And a whole bunch of African nations said, we're not into this. You can draw your own parallels between those <laughs> <laughs> two moves. What do we think that, you know, can come out of this, out of someone having an, at a high, very, very high level going and looking at this across globally? Is he going to find things we already don't know about? I think um, I think one of the most important things that will come out of that role is that we'll get a global visibility. I think it's, you know, there are organisations like Human Rights Watch who kind of give you a little bit of that, but this is going to be far more comprehensive because he's going to have to report back to the General Assembly and the Human Rights Council. So that's like two very comprehensive reports back to the nations of the world every year. So it's it's going to go down into a deeper level. I think, you know, obviously he's very mindful that African, a bunch of African nations had said we don't want this or need this. And so I guess, you know, that may or may not need to be a focus of his as a starting point. But, you know, historically at the UN level, um, lots of countries around that area have been quite resistant to the idea of LGBTI rights as rights. So it probably wasn't so much of a surprise that this happened, um, but... 
you know, he was very excited at the conference he spoke um, and he was very excited that, you know, the week after that happened, there he was announcing what work he was going to do and, you know, at, a, at an LGBTI conference. So I think he probably felt quite secure in the role regardless. Much closer to home, there's been an increasing number of reports about the gay and lesbian community in Indonesia being under attack from religious and government groups. This week, a news report from Jakarta said a religious group, uh, the Islamic Defence Front, had stormed a gathering in a private home and shortly afterwards the police arrived and detained not the intruders but the occupants. Media reported that the police had seized mobile phones and HIV medication despite neither of these things being illegal. What can we do as neighbours to Indonesia to help them out? This is a really interesting one because, you know, we talk about how we don't really pay attention to what's going on in some other countries. And there seems to be little flashpoints where suddenly we have lots of news about Uganda or lots of news about Nigeria. And, and Indonesia is somewhere that, you know, most people in Australia have probably been. I yep. think, uh, you know, Australia's probably been to Indonesia, I'd say, more than most other countries. Yeah. Um, not sure if that's statistically true, so I might want to fact check that. <laughs> I know I've been more times than I can count. We're definitely up into the maybe 25 times or more I've been to Indonesia. Wow. There does seem to be a lot of news coming out of Indonesia in the last 12 months of um, you know, people in the queer community being sort of targeted and you know told that queer people can't apply for jobs. And people been there was two guys up in Sulawesi were arrested for making pornography because they posted a picture of them um, embracing and put it on Facebook. Oh, that's right. Um, which had an eight-year sentence. We're not quite sure what happened with that case. We'll follow that one up. But yeah. this one this week, it was a the religious a religious group has stormed a private apartment. The security of the apartment building has let them in, burst into someone's apartment. The police have followed about thirty minutes later, and they've said it was because a sex party was going on in the apartment, and they've confiscated mobile phones and HIV medication. Of course, having a mobile phone or HIV medication is not illegal. Uh, neither is homosexuality in Indonesia. Yeah. So yeah. there's a real gap here between the law and actions that are happening. And there's, I mean, there's lots of countries around the world, obviously, where um, state-sanctioned discrimination exists, even though, you know, being LGBTI may or may not be illegal. There's this state-sanctioned kind of, it's okay, it's okay to treat them like, you know, they're second-class citizens. I, I don't really know that much about Indonesia. I haven't been 25 times. <laughs> <laughs> I've been once. And I don't really know that much about Islam as a religion, so I don't want to kind of comment on that. But, you know, we see it here, religious intolerance of LGBTI-type stuff, mm. um, and I imagine that has a lot to do with it over there as well. There's been a real concept in Indonesia for since it you know was founded as a country that... Um, you have to have a religion in Indonesia mm. on your documents. You must declare an, a, a religion and there's like a, a limited number of choices that you can't sort of, you know, you can't add the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster on. Yes. Um, it has to be one of the recognised religions. But there's a real sort of, has in the past been a national belief that there is a balance between all the different religions in Indonesia. Okay. That if you go down to, um, I've been to Flores, um, which if you know Bali is about five islands uh, to the right of Bali, sort of heading towards Timor. And in Flores, half the um, island is uh, is Islamic, is Muslim, and there's a mountain range, and on the other side it's quite predominantly Catholic. Oh, um, right, wow. And, and Bali has a really rich uh, Balinese Hindu history. Yeah, so. and so as you go from actually region to region, you do sort of sure. travel through different religions. Yep. And obviously it's Muslim in Jakarta, which is where this, this raid happened. But there seems to be this sort of belief that, you know, we recognise and we respect this difference. That seems to be getting a little bit out of kilter. 
in Indonesian society lately that you know that that belief that other religions are as equal seems to maybe not coming through as much and we're seeing the effects of that for a place that a lot of Australians go on holiday though should we be more aware of you know what's happening right next door seeing this question yeah I, it certainly I mean I don't even feel like I know very much about what's going on and it's it's closer to us than Sydney you know it's it's so close by I think you know from an activism perspective one of the things that activists here could do is go and find out who the groups are doing work over there and find out you know what what do you guys need how is there any way we can support you is there anything we can do I I imagine there's probably a lot we could do from a political level but I'm not convinced that our government would be interested in engaging in that kind of dialogue it's uh intriguing I mean the only place Indonesia's really come up uh in a political dialogue into relation to um, LGBT rights was that Barnaby Joyce came out and said we shouldn't have marriage equality because countries like Indonesia would not like us having marriage equality and might not yeah. buy as much beef. Um, <laughs> it's an yeah. intriguing one. I've got to say, the most surprising story I saw this week, the one where I kind of banged my head against the desk a little bit, was a press release that came out from the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, there was a report that came out which said... It was an international report which sort of compared school students in primary school across many, many different nations around the world, and we've slipped down. We are down to, I think, 17th on the list, Mm. and the thing which all the media highlighted was Kazakhstan is now above us in the quality of their education in maths and science. Right. Oh, my God. Um, and you better believe they all latched onto the Borat jokes. That was it. That's <laughs> how we explain Kazakhstan to oh. the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs> but the Australian Christian Lobby, who've you know been at the forefront of... Um, Complaining about the Safe Schools Coalition anti-bullying mm. program, who've you know been very vocal in this area, yeah. um, along with a lot of the right-wing media, have they they put out a press release which said the reason was teachers were spending too much time on all these ancillary things put into schools like the Safe Schools program, and actually said if they weren't spending so much time helping students transition gender, they'd have more time to make uh, students best in maths and science. I guess the question I ask, is this a little bit of an overreach? (laughs) It's so difficult to remain calm when answering a question like this, I think. Um, Yeah, I guess, because I did, did, um, when I was working with True Colours down in Bunbury, I did a lot of work with safe schools programs down in Bunbury with schools. And so I guess reading that from the ACL is the the first thing that strikes me is that it's a blatant lie around, you know, obviously it's not just about gender. It is not a gender agenda. It's not trying to encourage people to transition. It's just trying to encourage acceptance of people who are. All, and all the <laughs> arguments against high schools really seem to be focusing in on the transgender community. Sure, yeah. And not on, you know, the, the gay and lesbian side of it. Because I think, you know... That's a thing which probably most Australians look at and go, well, actually, no, gay and lesbian kids shouldn't be bullied at school. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And they move to the transgender side because people need have less understanding about that. So they Yeah, it's still scary to the everyman. They don't understand it. Not that it's literally scary. There I mean there are differing views and I won't you know, I won't name any types of schools, but there are some schools who may be more accepting of the trans kids because they see that as a biological illness. Whereas, you know, the the lesbian, gay and bisexual kids, well, that's a choice that they're making and so it's evil. Hmm. Uh, so there's kind of differing views within schools um, that I can speak of. Hmm. Yeah. But I think when you actually look at the numbers, if you think about it, this is an international test that looked at primary school students and the majority of the Safe Schools program and certainly all of it since the government review of this year is in high schools. Yes. So 
um, that just doesn't line up in the first place. And if we look at the total number of schools in Australia and the total number of them which have the So Schools Coalition program in it, yeah. it's not in the majority of schools. No, it isn't. So no. how could it be responsible for the overall downfall of our international standing? It just it doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense at all. But it sort of speaks to... I mean, first of all, it speaks to the louder voice of the far right because of recent political events. But it also speaks to people's lack of awareness around the program. Like, what is the program that the ACL can come and say, this is what it is, when actually it's an anti-bullying and inclusion program that's targeted at school staff, not school children necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, But that the ACL can come out and say that and people accept it as a possibility is a little bit scary. Yeah, there was a story that came out of Hall's Head a couple of weeks ago where um, the title of the story was, you know, Parents Outraged by Safe Schools Program. But once you actually read the content of the story... The one story's parent... in the Mandra Mail, if anyone wants to go have a look at it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, the story was that one parent had arced up about the program and the school was only at the stage of meeting with representatives from safe schools who just wanted to say, this is what the program is. Yeah. They had shown no intention of signing up to the yeah, program. Yeah, and there's this parallel yeah. drawn between one of the things that came out in the review that was done earlier this year said that this program should be in high schools, not in primary schools. And this was just a school who'd gone to say, can we get some information? And they were complaining they'd even gone and asked about it, not that they'd even implemented it, you know, um, which just seems, I don't know, a little bit paranoid. I guess the question there is what can we do to kind of combat this misinformation? How do we get it out to the wider community that it's an opt-in program that's Mm. targeted at staff and it's not about indoctrinating or converting kids to a different way of life? Yeah, I mean... I guess one of the things that struck me about what the ACL had said was that, you know, they were talking about funding going into this instead of science and maths, but the program's really poorly funded. Mm. And so for them to actually respond to all of this political stuff is impossible. And I think the actual program has taken a stance that they're just not going to do that. They're just going to keep doing the work. So it's up to people like us who can get the message out there to say, this is actually what the program is. This is how it's going to be good for kids rather than bad. Um, And just keep doing that. And it's interesting each time you go to any kind of, uh, you know, rally around this sort of area that there's... Mm actual teenagers coming out and speaking at these rallies, you know, who are, well, so impressive in their public speaking at, you know, 15 and 16, um, speaking better than some of our politicians do on a microphone. (laughs) So there's definitely some part of our education system working very well there, but speaking very passionately about how their first-hand experiences, that it's it's been a lifesaver, that it's, it's made them feel confident, that it's stopped bullying, that it's changed their lives. And those stories, you know, I understand from a news point of view, bad news is, you know, travel so much more than good news like it's hard to write a story going education program is you know outstanding success um is never going to make the front page but we are hearing those stories come through they're just not getting amplified loud enough yeah and i i guess one of the things we could do is talk about the alternatives i mean you know there was that kid in queensland whose name escapes me tyrone yeah yeah who took his life because of bullying at school I mean, those kinds of stories compared to the stories of kids who've been impacted by safe schools um, is one way of doing it, I think. Mm, that was yeah. a really challenging one from us from a journalistic point of view because uh, there are lots of guidelines about reporting on suicide. Mm. Um, and generally, you know, a story like that wouldn't get written in Australia because uh, when we report on suicide, we try not to write about uh, recent events um, unless it's someone of a very high public 
standing. Yeah. It's been interesting. There's been lots of um, media advisories coming out from Mindframe across to all the media saying, you know, please report responsibly yeah. on this story, which, you know, there's been some, some ethical conundrums in there because obviously everybody's talking about it. There's rallies in the streets about it. Yeah. But if you follow the guidelines of the word, we actually wouldn't report about it. Um, and they're, they're very good guidelines. They should be there they're for very good reasons. It just shows us that we still don't talk about suicide prevention enough. We had sort of a big here in Western Australia. We had a big push for it a few years ago, but yeah. keeping it at the forefront of our minds is still very challenging. Yeah, and I mean, you know, from experience of working with young LGBTI people, and I'm sure there's lots of people who could say the same thing, there's plenty of um, self-harm and suicide attempts that just, you know, they don't even get onto the radar in media. If anything in this story um, has uh, caused you concern, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression and you need support and counselling, it is available. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 within Australia. If you're in uh, Beyond Blue is 1300 224636. You can find them at beyondblue.org.au. Or if you're after a gay and lesbian specific organisation, Q Life can be found on 1800 164 527 that's available as well if you're listening to us from somewhere overseas just head online and check out what your local services are and uh, reach out and get help if you need it well thanks for joining us that was an absolute pleasure thanks for having me if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with a friend we'd love it if you gave us a review on itunes and subscribe so you don't miss an episode you can join in the conversation about this show on twitter using the hashtag soloquacious if you can spell it or head to our soundcloud page (laughs) at soundcloud.com slash outinperth, where you can add your comments on the timeline. If you'd like to connect with the team from Out in Perth, you'll find us at outinperth.com. Until next time, remember, be vocal, be loud, be fabulous, and be so loquacious. Bye now. Bye. Bye.